Good morning, everyone. So glad. Oh, yes. Thank you. I didn't pause. I didn't wait to hear it back. What, how wrong of me. I just assumed you weren't going to say it. That's not cool. Um, not okay. But um, I'm so glad that all of you are here this morning. As you've heard, every person that's gotten up here so far, happy Mother's Day to all of our mothers in the room. Um, weren't those baby dedications wonderful? I love them. They're truly, yes, they're truly one of my favorite things that we do all year because you get to see these families dedicate promise to raise their children up to the faith in the faith and then we the church get to promise to walk alongside them in that discipleship and it's just so beautiful it's a beautiful picture of what the church can do for one another i love it um but while i'm talking about mother's day i want to go ahead and get this out of the way i will not be sharing a mother's day message with you this morning I know, surprise. But we've been in this series, The Way of Jesus, and we're gonna continue that this morning. And I just want you to know that I tried really hard, like really, really hard to turn this, to kind of like shape it into something that had to do with Mother's Day or use all these illustrations about how I'm a mom and my daughter and Mother's Day and all these, it just didn't happen. It didn't work out. And you'll probably see why when we dig into the text. But if it makes you feel better, I'm a mom, and I'm sharing the message. So that's the connection for you this morning as we go into the sermon today. So um, we will be continuing in our sermon, The Way of Jesus, and we have been journeying through the Sermon on the Mount. We've been learning about the way that Jesus is calling us to live in the life we're supposed to walk in. And last week, Ben shared with us about the narrow way and the broad way and how Jesus is inviting us. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, he's been introducing his way. And as we're wrapping up here, as we're somehow coming to an end after all these months, I feel like Jesus is inviting us into that way. He said, here's the way, and now here's the invitation into the way. You can choose. You can choose the narrow way that I'm inviting you to or the broad way. But he doesn't stop there. He extends the invitation, and then he says, okay, but if you choose this, if you choose this invitation, I'm going to give you some things to guide you, to help you, to stay firm as you walk along this narrow path. And that's what we see in the message today. So let's begin. We're going to read it together. But I'm actually going to include the verses that Ben read last week because I think that they go hand in hand. So Matthew chapter 7, that's where we are this week, verses 13 through 20, which says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. Be on your guard, this is the new stuff, be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so you'll recognize them by their fruit. And right off the bat, I can tell you, I really wrestled with this passage, like really had to take it to the Lord, because I don't like to think about people like this. Like, I don't like to think about people having ulterior motives or evil ways about them or that they're wolves in sheep's clothing, that they're coming to destroy us. I don't like that. I like to see the best in people and assume that they're bringing their best self and that happy things are gonna happen when we all interact with one another. That's the way I like to go about my life. And maybe that's a little bit naive, but I just don't like to think about people like this. So if you're like me and you hear that message and you're kind of like squirming around in your chair a little bit, it's okay because I felt that way too. But I do think that Jesus has a message, a unique message that he wants to share with us today. 
from this passage. And it starts, like I said, with Jesus inviting us into his kingdom way. So he's like, there are two ways. If you choose the narrow way, that's great, but you have to watch your step because things are going to come. If you choose this way, the way might be narrow, but it's not isolated. There will be things that are going with you, voices around you, influences that will come against you as you try to go on this narrow way. So he says, be on guard. That is the first thing that he tells us if we choose this narrow way. How many of you drive with your phone as your navigation device? Like that's what you use. Yeah, a good bit of us. So Ben talked about this a little bit last week when he shared about the narrow way. He was talking about, if we wanna leave here and go to his house, there's a pathway that we have to take. There's only one way to get there. Now, I'm gonna ask what might be the most controversial thing that I bring up this morning, but who uses Apple Maps? No? <laughs> Darrell, me and you, me and you. Who uses Google Maps? What? This is the most shocking thing. I, was, I give my husband the hardest time about using Google Maps. I just think it's like the most random one, so here we go. Now he has proof, he just saw it in a poll that you all like it. Who uses Waze? Mm, yep, see there are the cheers, there are the cheers. See, call me a purist, but I have an iPhone and I like Apple Maps. I just think it is the most direct one, think it's really good. And I have something a little bit controversial to say about all you uh, Waze app lovers this morning. And Ben started touching on it in his message last week. He's like, Waze is just doing too much. Amen. Like, <laughs> Like, Waze wants us to stop and get an icy. Like, why? But I want to take it a step further. And I want to say that I think that Waze is the false prophet of the navigation apps. <laughs> because you put your app... Yeah, see, and I already know that at the end of this message, all of you who love Waze, that's all you're going to come to. You're going to be like, look, you don't understand, though. Like, it's the best one. And you're going to, like, petition to me. I've never heard of so much advocacy for Waze than, like, anything else in my life. But I think it is the false prophet because we put our address in and it's like, yeah, I'll get you to where you want to go. Sure, we'll get there. And then you start driving. It starts whispering all these things into your life and over your heart. It's giving you all these little alerts. It's like, I know you're trying to get somewhere. You're trying to stay the path, but it's been a long day. It's been a hard like drive. You're tired. It's hot outside. Beep, beep. Look, there's a Starbucks ahead. Don't you want to stop there? Don't you want to spend your whole paycheck on an icy frap? <laughs> and before you know it, you're not at your destination. You're getting thrown off course. And I think that Waze is a prime example of how these influences can come into our life. And they can guide us. They can try to distract us off of the path, off of the narrow way. This is why Jesus starts with this warning, to be on guard. So hopefully, if nothing else, Maybe I convicted you to change your nav app this morning. But what Jesus is teaching us here is there's a posture that we have to take as we choose this narrow path. And it is a posture to guard our hearts, a posture to stand against the confusing mixed messages that are going to come against us from the world as we try to walk on this narrow way. Not only does Jesus tell us to be on guard, but he tells us what to be on guard from. He says, watch out for false prophets who will come to you as wolves dressed in sheep's clothing. And one thing that I think we have to immediately like wrestle with with this is this isn't something we commonly talk about. False prophets? Like when was the last time you heard that phrase? 
Like if you're getting ready for work and you're trying to walk out the door and your spouse or your roommate is like, have a good day at work, but watch out because those false prophets, they're going to get you. Remember, be on guard from them. They're going to look like sheep, but they're really wolves. Don't forget. No, this feels like something from a bygone era, like something from the Lord of the Rings where it's like, beware the false prophet who stands at the gates of the forbidden forest. And I might be mixing up my fantasy metaphors there, but you get what I'm talking about. This doesn't seem like something that we are meant to wrestle with in our everyday life. And yet it is the first thing that Jesus tells us. It is the first piece of advice that he gives us as we set out to walk along this narrow way. So we have to pay attention to it. We have to figure out why it's important. So since this is something we never talk about, what does the Bible mean by a false prophet? What is a false prophet? What does that mean? And I think it's actually helpful if we start out with what the Bible is saying about prophets, which is actually a really big thing to undertake, let me tell you. And I do wanna say, before I keep going, we're gonna get into the word this morning and we're gonna go all over scripture and there's gonna be a lot of references. And I, like, it's like I kept looking up all these scriptures and I just couldn't say no to any of them. And I think it's maybe because the Lord was like, you're talking about false prophets so you need to bring the truth and the truth is in my word. So. You're gonna be like full of Bible this morning, just the slides people are gonna be doing double time, so just prepare yourself. But scripture is full of messages about the prophets. It's like half the Bible. Whole books are dedicated to who the prophets are. This summer, this might be a spoiler alert, but the Grace Family Summer Series is about the minor prophets. So we're gonna be spending a whole series trying to talk about something that I'm trying to define in like one minute. So. Just bear with me that there's a lot of content in scripture about who prophets are, but I think that there are just some basic principles that we should have as our baseline as we move forward this morning. So the first is that prophets are called and gifted by God. So Jeremiah 1, 4 through 5 says, the word came to me, Jeremiah, I, this is God talking, chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Prophets. Prophets are messengers of God's word. Continuing in Jeremiah 1, you will go to everyone I send you to and speak whatever I tell you. Do not be afraid of anyone, for I will be with you to rescue you. This is the Lord's declaration. Then the Lord reached out his hand, touched my mouth, and told me, I have now filled your mouth with my words. Their words do not come from their own wisdom. 2 Peter 1, 20 through 21 says, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Prophets call us to repentance and right ways of living. Isaiah 1, 16 through 17 says, wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. So, like I said, hundreds more scriptures about prophets, but I think this is a good place to start. And I think we can sum it up in this definition. Prophets are appointed messengers of God who call us to the right way of living. Now, with this definition in mind, we can come to the conclusion that false prophets are the opposite. They are influences in our life who claim to have the power of God or claim to have more power of God through the choices that they make. And they claim to be speaking truth, but then they end up calling us into incorrect ways of living. And just like with the prophets, scripture is full of references about false prophets that we couldn't even begin to scratch the surface on today. So I'm gonna try to sum it up with one passage, 2 Peter 2, one through three, which says, false prophets also rose among the people, 
just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who, brought, who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Now, as I examine all of these scriptures, I read way too many scriptures about the prophets, guys, preparing for this, but, and about the false prophets, I think that Jesus wants to go a step further in the message he wants to bring to us today, which is, ultimately, if we want to stay on this narrow road, we have to watch out for the influences that we are letting speak over our life. And I believe for us today, for us in this room, that we can divide these influences into three categories. So the first one is the true false prophet or true false teacher who I'm calling the masquerading messengers. Yes. Sometimes, um, and we can see these people all throughout scripture, but sometimes these practices are intentional. They're people who purposefully go after the wrong things. In scripture, we see them, people who are doing witchcraft and sorcery and people who created false idols that they believed were more powerful than God, demons and the demon-possessed who are speaking untrue things about God. But then we also see it today. We see people who are claiming to be messengers of the Lord, teachers and pastors who have gotten caught up in scandal because they were led astray. And teachers who cared more about popularity and celebrity than they did about speaking the truth. We can get access to these people's words everywhere. They're on social media, they've written books, they have podcasts, they have YouTube channels. We can listen to false prophets anytime we want. The second type of false prophet that we allow to influence us are the worldly ambassadors. Now these people are not claiming to have any truth from the Lord. They're not saying we're bringing a message from God, but what they are saying is that they know the way to true happiness and true purpose and they can tell you about it. They can bring the message of the world to us. Douglas taught about this earlier in this series, that we cannot serve two masters. We cannot serve God and follow his way on the narrow gate and serve the things of this world and the prince of this age. Jesus warned us that we cannot do both, but we are the ones that give power to these worldly influences. We are the ones that allow them to speak to us. We follow them on social media. We watch TV shows and movies all about the ways of this world. And when something about this narrow way feels hard or it's not satisfying us or it's difficult to walk on or it doesn't line up with the dreams and desires we have in our heart, we know that there is a place we can go where we will be fed the lies that we want to hear. And it's all accessible right here at the palm of our hand. Third type, and this is the most difficult to talk about, are our close counsel. They're the people who are the closest in our life, the direct influences, the voices that we hear every single day. Our family, our friends, our coworkers, our spouses. And sometimes we ask these people for advice, but sometimes we're just in proximity to them. So we can't help it. We hear their words spoken over us every day. And I'm not saying that all of these people are false prophets coming to you as wolves in sheep's clothing, trying to speak lies over you every single day, but I am saying they are the most influential in your life. So we have to guard our hearts and minds against what they might be speaking over us. Jesus had to wrestle with this with his 12 disciples. Matthew 16, 21 through 23 says, from, the, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. 
Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. This is our reminder that the people who were closest to Jesus, the people that he directly discipled, they weren't perfect. And sometimes they got caught up in their fleshly desires, in the things that they were scared of, in the false things that they were speaking over their own heart. And they spoke the wrong things to those in their proximity. So if it can happen to Peter, the father of the church, surely it will happen to those around us. And what's harder to accept is sometimes it will be us. We will be the ones that will accidentally speak false things to those we love the most. We all know those interactions when we leave a conversation we've had with a loved one and we're like, why did I just say that? Like, why? What was happening in my heart and in my life? What fleshly thing was I given over to that I would bring up that thing or gossip about that person or speak into that old wound? Why would I do that? It's because none of us are perfect. We all get led astray sometimes by the ways of the world. So we have to guard ourselves from sometimes from one another, from false influence, from lies. And I know that can be hard to accept, but it's true. By being in community with Peter, Jesus sets this example for us that we cannot let false things speak over us. But he also sets the example for us that while we need to be cautious, we need community. Even though Jesus, Peter spoke these things to Jesus and Jesus rebuked him, Jesus did not cast him out of his life. He kept him close. He was one of his closest brothers. He did not cast away Judas, even though he knew Judas would betray him. And I don't know about you, but I need community. If I'm gonna make it on this narrow road that we're all trying to walk, we're gonna need each other. It's just true. I need voices speaking over my life, true teachers, true wise counsel that will help me stay on this narrow way. And I think Jesus using this metaphor of the sheep is so significant. He's saying the wolf is gonna come dressed as sheep's clothing in sheep's clothing because y'all are sheep. We're all sheep. And sheep need the flock. We need each other. We need to be in community. We were never meant to do this in isolation. In fact, scripture is full of reminders of why we need community. Who here has ever gone hiking before? I'm talking true hiking, not Kennesaw Mountain, not Stone Mountain, where you like actually take the little sky lift up, but then you walk down and you're like, I hiked. Not that, like you had to buy gear, you had to break in some shoes. Rick Copeland, this is where I said I was gonna call you out today. He was just in here breaking in some hiking shoes the other day for a backpacking trip. But when I was in high school, I went on this crazy trip with my youth group. I talked about it earlier this year too, but we did this steep 12 mile hike. That's not naturally in my nature. So I can tell you the only way that I made it to the top of that mountain was because of the people that I was walking with. If we think that the narrow road is this scenic little trail where we like make friends with woodland creatures and we all sing a happy song together, we are mistaken. It is going to be full of mountains and valleys and hard terrain. And if we do not have people close to us helping us get up that mountain, we'll never make it. If I didn't have these people, I wouldn't have done it. We all helped each other. Some people were giving encouragement. Some people were like goofing around to keep our spirits up. Some people didn't bring enough water, but some people had extra to share. Some people needed to stop and rest, and they needed people to sit with them while they regained the strength to keep going. That's what all of us need in each other. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10 says it like this. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. 
If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them. So we need each other on this narrow way. We're, we're also going to have to have grace for each other as we guard our hearts against the false things that we might unintentionally say to one another. We're going to have to be open and ready for forgiveness. Now, so why did Jesus warn us about this? Like, why was he like, this is what you need to be cautious about? It's not just because we have all these influences coming after us. It's deeper than that. He warned us, firstly, because false prophets will not always be easy to identify. He said, they will come to you dressed in sheep's clothing. They're going to try to blend into the flock. You won't be able to recognize them based on their appearances. So Jesus is saying, looks, appearances are not a good way to discern if someone is a good influence on you. People can also change their appearances for different audiences to suit their own needs and interests. So we can't trust what we see on the outside. We have to get close to people. We have to be in proximity to know what kind of person they really are. So if this is the case, if we have to be looking out for false prophets and we can't judge them on their appearances, then we have to know how to identify them. Which brings me to the second reason that Jesus is guarding us against this, because he knows, he knows if we get close to a false prophet, if we get close to someone who is walking in the ways of this world, we are going to start experiencing what they are producing. And it won't be good for us. It's not gonna be good. Jesus is warning us because of the bad fruit of the false prophet. So as we continue in Matthew chapter 7, verse 16, he says, you'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize them by their fruit. Now, Jesus mentions two things here. He mentions the tree and the fruit. And he's telling us the fruit that is produced is directly correlated to the tree. So the good tree produces good fruit. The bad tree produces bad fruit. Good tree can't produce bad fruit. Bad tree can't produce good fruit. You get it. Which means that the outcome of the fruit is directly related to the source. So we must begin there. What source are the false prophets in the world operating from? Ephesians 2, 2 through 3 sums it up for us perfectly. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. So the source of the false prophet are the ways of this world and the king and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, which is a whole other thing. If you wanna learn more about it, Douglas talked a great sermon about it earlier this year. There's a lot to be said about that, but it's not good. Whether it's Satan or the accuser or demons, it's not good. It's not the source that you want to be the thing producing the fruit within you. So if the source is the ways of the world, what is the fruit that is being produced? What is the fruit that we need to watch out for? If we can't trust something by its appearances and we have to look to its fruit, what fruit should we be on guard for? Now, the first fruit, and it's mentioned here in Ephesians, is disobedience. False prophets don't care about being obedient to God, and they don't think that you should care either. The only thing false prophets care about are gratifying their own flesh. They're great with the temporary satisfaction of the broad road. All they want to do is meet their own needs. And the truth is, 
This can be very appealing for us too, which is why we have to guard our hearts. 2 Timothy 4.3 says, for the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. The truth is that we want to believe that there's another way. We don't wanna have to walk down this hard, treacherous, narrow path to get to life. We want someone to come in here and holler from the back of the room, don't worry guys, I busted this Jesus thing wide open. The Broadway works too. We're all good to go, let's go, let's go do that way. That's what we want. We want the smooth talking preachers who affirm all the choices that we make and never call us to hard refining change. We want to follow social media accounts and watch TikTok videos that affirm our choices. We wanna watch someone DIY their house so that they feel happier or watch someone work out until they feel worthy or we wanna watch someone who is self-employed and see all the freedom that they're experiencing and we want that for ourselves or see people on these perfect happy family vacations who make us believe if we can just get to Disney World, we'll be good to go. And um, here's where I tried to say something about sports because I know that's important to some of you guys, but I would, I would be the false teacher here if I tried to like make a sports metaphor, so I'm not going there. But just think about you know, those happy feelings that some of you get when you see sports people win things. Um, but we want to sit on our phones and watch lives play out that convince us if we follow the ways of the world, we will feel satisfied. We don't need to go on this narrow road. We don't have to worry about that. The truth is, that we all want to be lied to. We don't want to have to believe that the hard way is really the way that leads to life. We want to believe that we can walk the narrow way of Jesus and find everlasting life while still getting to experience all of the good things that we see the people in the world getting to experience. We want to believe that it's possible to have both. And I would love to be the false teacher who lies to you right now because it feels good to make people feel good and tell you that you can fill your work week with hustle and your weekends with perfectly curated happy hours and family outings and give your calendar over to the ways of this world and live out the kingdom calling that God has for your life. But it's just not true. We can't walk both ways. We can't have it all. And Jesus tells us this. Because in reality, if we choose to live like that, we are choosing, and it's the broad way. Jeremiah 23, 16 through 17 says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, It shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, No disaster shall come upon you. The false prophet is the one who convinces us or tries to convince us that our desires will lead to life. But Jesus tells us right here in Matthew chapter seven that if we follow that road, that broad road, it will only lead to our destruction. Now, to quote Ben Hardman, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that you can never have happy, fun moments with your family or that you can't enjoy the things of this world. Jesus came for us to have life and have life to the fullest. But what I am saying is that you can't make an idol out of it. You cannot turn the things into this world into things that are better than the way that God is offering you. And a time is gonna come when Jesus calls you to and the Holy Spirit convicts you to lay aside some things of this world that will satisfy the ways of your flesh. And you're gonna have to do it. 
You're gonna have to give up that job, that paycheck, that family vacation, that habit, that lifestyle to follow the narrow way that will lead to life. Now, the second fruit is apathy. And I'm not talking about apathy like, I just don't wanna do anything. I'm talking about kingdom apathy. And I think that this is something that the false prophets can so easily draw us into. And I think it's something, honestly, that we do to each other more than any other thing. This fruit is produced when we believe that we don't have to live for the kingdom. We don't have to give anything up for the kingdom. We don't have to be on fire for the kingdom. In our mission statement, we talk about how East Cobb is fast asleep. This world, this life has routines. It has rhythms. It has patterns that we can fall into. And if we're not careful, we will let those things take over us. We will be apathetic to the kingdom work that God is trying to do to our lives. We'll listen to our friends and our family when they're like, you're good. We're already doing enough. You're fine. Don't worry about it. You're good to go. And the enemy is happy for us to live into this space where we've fallen into the cycle of worldly routines. Because if we do that, we will never walk in our true kingdom power. If the enemy has the power over the world, he never wants us to know the power we have to push him off of his throne and usher in the kingdom way of living that is available to us if we just break out of our routines. We have the kingdom power to do the thing that Isaiah was talking about at the beginning of this message, to seek justice, to defend the oppressed, to take up the cause of the fatherless, to plead the case of the widow. That is not what the false prophet wants us to hear. That's not what our coworkers speak over us when they're like, no, you just gotta work harder. You just gotta stay in this routine. You just gotta push and grind until you get what you want. Jesus is saying, I offer another way. Break out of that routine. Wreck the roof for, your people, for the people in your life and see how his kingdom way ushers in power. Ezekiel 13, nine through 10 says, my hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and utter lying divinations because they lead my people astray saying peace when there is no peace. And because when a flimsy wall is built, they cover it with whitewash. True prophets of the Lord see what is wrong and see what we as followers of the kingdom can do about it. False prophets want us to believe, the enemy wants us to believe that the status quo is fine. He doesn't want anything to change. And a lot of times we tell each other that. We are convinced that we're doing fine and we tell each other the same thing because we don't wanna make our friends feel guilty. We don't wanna make those in our life feel bad. So we just let them keep going their way instead of working to bring the kingdom way. The third fruit of the false prophet is lies. When a false prophet's source are the ways of the world, they're gonna be fed lies. Jesus tells us in John chapter eight that the enemy is the king of lies, that all he can do is tell lies. So when that is your source, when the ways of your, the world are your, that is your source, you're only gonna believe lies. The enemy lied to Eve in the garden when he told her that she didn't have to believe God. She said, God's not looking out for you. You're good. This fruit isn't gonna hurt you. It's actually gonna help you. You don't have to believe God. Help yourself. Do what you need to do for yourself. And in this moment, the enemy created this lie between us and God that we can't trust him. So when we're walking on this hard path, when we're in the valley and things feel difficult and hard and voices in our life are telling us, it's just like Job and his friends, like, why are you still trusting God? Why are you still trusting him when your life is hard, when you're on this narrow way? Don't you know that you can follow the ways of this world and fend for yourself? 
You can make this happen for yourself. You don't have to wait on God. And if we let these worldly influences speak to us, we will start to build up false identities for ourselves. We will start to believe that we are what we do, or we are what we have, or we are how popular we feel, or we are how pretty we look. We will believe that the ways of the world can meet our needs that we don't perceive God meeting. But God is telling us, stay the course, stick with me, because my path leads to life in this narrow worldly way might satisfy you for a minute, but ultimately it's going to lead to your destruction. And finally, the last fruit I'm gonna talk about of the false prophet is death. Jesus said in verse 19 that every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. For the, fal- for the false prophets that are walking down this road, walking down this broad road, it's gonna feel like life for a while. And they're gonna tell other people that it feels like life. And you're gonna hear from your friends who seem to be doing well with the things of this world that they're living it big. They have all these things that we don't have. But Jesus is telling us right here, don't trust that. Don't trust these false prophets, these influences of the world, because ultimately the fruit that they are going to reap is death. But, and the amazing thing is with Jesus, there's always a but, there is good news. Jesus says in John 15, starting in verse five, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit, because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. So the answer to the bad fruit that is produced by the false prophet is Jesus. He is the source. He is our source to being good trees that produce good fruit. Galatians 5, through 24 says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there are no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we, as followers of Christ, get to be connected to this source of life and produce this good fruit, this beautiful fruit that can bring healing to the world, what are we supposed to do with it? If we're being affected by these false influences, we have to recognize our power to be a good influence, to be a true prophet that can bring kingdom change into this world. I believe that that is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to speak truth, the kind of truth that can bring hope and healing and restoration and redemption and that can lead others onto the narrow way that leads to life. And as Christians, we have been historically bad at drawing hard lines between ourselves and the world. When Jesus tells us, be on guard against false prophets, we take the narrow way and we turn it into the high road and we look down on people and we judge them and we separate ourselves from them and don't allow ourselves to enter in and bring this way of redemption and restoration. And to do this, I think we have to draw a distinction. We have to draw a distinction between judgment and discernment. Judgment is when we look at the actions of others and decide their worth. Discernment is when we don't let the actions of others affect our worth. Jesus had the discernment to not allow Peter's words to change who he was or change his behavior. But, and he continued to see Peter the same way, to still love him. He saw through the words that Peter was speaking under the surface and he knew what Peter was experiencing. He knew that Peter was experiencing fear 
and sadness and maybe even loss of hope because he just heard the Messiah he's been following might die. And we must remember that beneath the surface of most humans that we are walking with, especially those who are connected to the ways of this world, are lies, lies that they're believing about who God is and who they are. And as I was praying for this message and asking God, what is the word, what is the real word that you have to speak over us today? Because I was confused, I was like, why? Why would a false prophet come in to people's lives as a wolf dressed in sheep's clothing? Like, do people just like to see others suffer? Is that the point? And what I feel like I heard the Lord saying was that they wanna belong. They are dressed as sheep because they wanna be a sheep. They want to belong to community. They want to find a place where they can be known and loved and these holes that are deep in their heart can be filled with something good. But the problem is they're connected to the wrong source. They don't know Jesus as the source of life, so they're still going about all their wolfy ways. They still think that they have to manipulate and lie and deceive to fill up these holes. So we, as messengers of the good source that produce good fruit, have to show them another way. Because these false prophets, these false teachers who come in and speak lies that itchy ears long to hear, they're looking for something. They're gonna lie to people to keep them close. Or if false prophets are motivated by affection and esteem, they're looking for something. And they will tell anyone whatever they wanna hear so that they can maintain their popularity. When our friends and our family tell us flattering words and only tell us what we wanna hear, they're looking for something. They're looking for belonging and they still believe that they have to manipulate to get it. So when we experience these behaviors, we can either judge them and cut ourselves off for them or while guarding our own worth and our own identity, we can contend for them. We can offer them love and grace, the same love and grace that was offered to us. And I believe the point of everything that Jesus is teaching us is that in this narrow road, we'll never be isolated. We will have voices coming to us at all sides from the narrow road and from the broad road. And we have to choose which voices we let impact our journey. But even more than that, we have to choose to be the voice that proclaims freedom and life for the false prophet. And if we're called to this, if we're called to proclaim this freedom, then we have to do what Jesus commands us in John chapter 15, starting in verse 12. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit and that your fruit should last so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. This is what I command you, love one another. So if we wanna live this way of fruitfulness, if we wanna produce fruit that will last, we have to do this thing. We have to love. This is the way of the narrow path. This is the way of fruitfulness. It's to love each other well and to contend for each other and to walk that line that goes along the broad road and hope and pray that we can bring others onto the narrow path with us, the path that leads to life. So as we enter, um, the band can come back up. Sorry guys, I didn't tell you that. Oof, um, the band can come back up. And during this time, we are going to, um, I got so caught up in it, but I want you all to go ahead and get communion. If you haven't gotten communion yet, go and get it. And we're gonna come back together and I have something I wanna speak over us while we're taking communion together.
Great. So during this time, as you're taking communion, I just want you to sit with the Lord. And I want you to reflect on what it looks like for you to be someone who is connected to the source of life in Jesus, someone who produces this fruit of the Spirit, someone that can usher in hope and healing and restoration to those in their lives who are walking in the ways of this world, who don't understand the freedom that can be found in Christ. And as you're reflecting on this and meeting Jesus in this space, I wanna read this over us today um, from 1 Corinthians 13. And traditionally, this is read at weddings. And I think we often think about this passage in terms of romantic relationships. And we forget that this applies to how we love each other. And not just each other, but how we love our enemies well. How we love those who are walking in the ways of the world and how we bring them back into the narrow way of Jesus. So I just want you to sit and reflect with the Lord and I'm gonna read this over you. Love is large and incredibly patient. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. It refuses to be jealous when blessing comes to someone else. Love does not brag about one's achievements nor inflate its own importance. Love does not traffic in shame and disrespect nor selfishly seek its own honor. Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offense. Love joyfully celebrates honesty and finds no delight in what is wrong. Love is a safe place of shelter, for it never stops believing the best for others. Love never takes failure as defeat, for it never gives up. Love never stops loving. Now we're going to enter into a time of worship, and our prayer team will be available for you. Just encourage you to sit with the Lord and just rest in this message of love that he has for all of us today, for us, and the love that we're meant to extend to one another as we try to walk this narrow way and just receive prayer if you need it as well.